everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Control Listen podcast by Octopart. I am the host, James Sweetlove. I'm joined today by not one, but two guests. Uh, first is Nora from Ultium. She is going to be my guest co-host today. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you. And our official guest today is Zach Peterson. He is a technical consultant for Ultium, and you may recognize him as the host of the On Track podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to have you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's always nice to be in the guest seat sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's a different experience, isn't it? Uh, I, I host podcasts so much and then I've been a guest in a few ones. It's, it's, it's different being on the answering side of the questions. Yeah, it's always nice, though. I feel like the universe returns to balance when I get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you've been doing podcasting uh, in this sense for quite a while now. You're very well established. So I have some questions I'd love to ask about the industry, the broader industry, um, and some of those trends that we're seeing and experiencing there. Uh, I was, yeah. I was, first off, I'd like to know, what are some of the recent trends that you've noticed in the supply chain process? You know, it's always funny when people ask me that, um, because the answer depends on whether stuff is hard to buy right now or stuff is easy to buy right now. Um, when stuff is hard to buy, everyone complains a lot. So I think complaining becomes one step in the process. When stuff is easy to buy, all of those processes that you developed when stuff was hard to buy kind of goes out the window because the whole reason you developed the process when stuff was hard to buy was because it was hard to buy. Um, and uh, one thing I'm noticing is uh, companies are having difficulty returning to that mindset that it's going to come back around and go out of stock someday and they just don't plan ahead. Um, it's also a little different if you look at like prototyping versus planning for production. Um, the companies that are planning for production and they know they're going to be producing something for the next three years, five years, however long, or if you're like in the military space for the next, you know, decade or more, um, they really want to do their homework on the front end and make sure that the thing they're going to put into that part or into that, uh, that product is going to be around for a long time. So first they need to make sure like, can we even hit our initial production run numbers? So they really do their homework on inventory and supply chain, making sure they can source stuff. Then if you're uh, going to produce over the long term. If they're smart, they plan ahead. What are some substitutes we can use for some of these parts? And then they get really good at identifying parts that are really critical. So like resistors, there's a million different resistors, right? If your one resistor goes out of stock, you'll find 10 others. It's usually not a big issue. But for that one integrated circuit that really creates the core feature that people are actually purchasing, that's the thing that's really critical. And that's the thing you have to plan around. So there kind of becomes these really important parts that everybody plans around and thinks about and makes sure that they can purchase over the long term. And that usually requires engaging directly with the, uh, the manufacturer, whether it's a semiconductor manufacturer or a connector manufacturer. In fact, connectors are kind of an interesting area, especially when you get into high reliability, because you need to make sure that you can procure that at the right scale. And you're generally going direct to the manufacturer. You're going to buy out the distributor's inventory before you even hit your numbers. So you have to go over to the semiconductor to, or direct to the connector manufacturer to get your, to get your volume. So it's, it's interesting depending on what you're looking at. Um, and then there's some specialty stuff or some specialty components um, that you might uh, need to plan around um, that are just so new. They don't produce them in the volume you want them. Um, great example is in radar. So 
what I'm hearing from you, Zach, is that there's kind of an ideal philosophy in how you approach supply chain issues that revolves around flexibility due to the fact that it's always fluctuating um, and that there's, you know, a lack of predictability. But what I'm curious is when, how, how exactly do you prepare in a way that's not wasteful um, in a way where you're not um, buying too many components and just the right amount? I mean, isn't that the $64 million question? You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's funny because uh, <laughs> you brought up the solution, right? You just buy a bunch of inventory and hold it. And, you know, that was fine. I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe before I, you know, back when I was still in high school, um, that worked fine. Um, now you can't really get away with that um, because things are changing so quickly, especially if you work in the consumer space, you know, your product might only have a lifetime or a useful lifetime, let's say of, you know, a year or two before it needs an update or before you have to just move on to something totally different uh, in order to stay competitive. So um, yeah. people started to really rely on just in time so that they could get just what they needed for their run plus 20 or 30% as a buffer or whatever to hold them through. Um, and that way they could at least, you know, keep filling orders consistently and keep product on the shelf, just the right amount, you know? Um, and we got really, yeah, oh, I go mean, ahead, go ahead. Uh, no one, no one likes to have too much, uh, you know, inventory sitting, and you had you had indicated this idea of substitution, right? Like being flexible and knowing what what to substitute. And would you say that's you know adding on to getting that right number is being flexible in that way? Y yeah. Um, so the the companies that I've worked with that are like at the enterprise level, not at startup or you know design bureau level, but you know they're enterprise clients, right? they know what the like five parts are that create the main features and functions that people pay all the money for. I call them the value creating parts. Those are the parts that create all of the value. So they at least need to know what the substitutes are for those. And if they have those in a list, then great. Sometimes what they need to do is have a variant of their design that works with one of those substitutes. Mm. So maybe they produce, you know, 500,000 of board A, 500,000 of board B. But they both do the exact same thing. It's just they're just, you know, slightly different. So yeah, it's all about reacting these days. Um, being able to react quickly mm. and have those contingencies in place ready to go. That's how people can can react to a situation where, oh my gosh, some broker in China just bought the last quarter million of this part that I need, which happens. So do you kind of see this as the end of the uh, just-in-time supply chain model? Is that no longer a, like something that's enough for a company to implement? Yeah, just-in-time, is it, it's, it's like uh, investing, you know. Investing in stocks is easy when stocks are always going up, right? So uh, just in time is easy when you have infinite inventory. Um, so yeah, I think people at least need to have right. the mindset of, you know, we're in inventory surplus mode right now. Um, that'll change. Hmm. And pretty soon we'll go back to something will be persistently out of stock and it'll be irritating for everybody. Right. 
there was something I actually wanted to ask on this sort of topic that we, we hadn't mentioned before is uh, how do you see the trend of nearshoring and reshoring sort of impacting this availability in the supply chain sector? Well, with reshoring, it's really production capacity. And I think it's based on an anticipation that uh, just based over the past, you know, few decades, um, the the usage of semiconductors and electronics components has just gone straight up, right? right? So it's it's an effort to make sure that the new capacity that's around is not at risk, meaning geographically isolated in one corner of the world. Um, right. So I think in the future that will help with availability. I think it'll also help with logistics and especially as mm. more emerging markets get into the, the electronics manufacturing game. Um, they're going to also need that supply as well. And so to have all of that supply readily available at multiple locations around the world will also help those countries get the parts that they need because some of those countries are also going to be EMS services. So they may mm -hmm. also be producing for a client in Europe, client in the US, client in Japan, you name it. Right. So you're really spreading that capacity and the inventory around by doing that. And I think that's what helps prevent the situation where oh no, Shenzhen's shut down because of some government mandate, let's say, and now you can't get capacitors for the next three months. I'm, I'm being, right, you know, right. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's, that's an actual problem. Altium 365 lets you hold the fastest design reviews ever. Share your designs from anywhere and with anyone with a single click. It's easy. Leave a comment tagging your teammate and they'll instantly receive an email with a link to the design. Anyone you invite can open the design using a web browser. Using the browser interface, you're able to comment, mark up, cross-probe, inspect, and more. Comments are attached directly to the project, making them viewable within Altium Designer, as well as through the browser interface. Give it a try and get started with Altium 365 today. Right, and same with politics, and you never know what's going to happen between two countries diplomatically, which is the other issue we're having now with the trade war, basically. So all these components that we need that are no longer available, so got to come from somewhere. Um, I, I definitely see the expansion of Central and South America and Southeast Asia and South Asia as critical to the future of, of the industry. If I were a, a betting man, sometimes I am, I would, I would bet on Mexico being the next big electronics yeah. manufacturing hub. I see it as well. Well, Zach, where, where do you recommend, you know, since this is a industry where it's changing, it's fluctuating, you have to, you know, keep your ear to the ground, where can engineers learn about components and how to stay current within the industry? Yes. So, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Octopart is a great place because they compile all of that data. Chances are, if you're using another search engine, you're actually looking at Octopart search results. Um, I don't, I don't normally say go to mm. the semiconductor manufacturers, but they do a pretty good job of, well, the bigger ones like Texas Instruments, they do a pretty good job of making sure their inventory is current and up to date. Um, and they can even give you access to additional stock that isn't necessarily listed on like their US site. I've actually had this happen. So uh, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was working with an aerospace client and uh, 
we needed to get this one microcontroller because for whatever reason, they weren't thinking ahead and they designed this entire system around this one microcontroller. Well, there's 80 of them left in the world. And we were able to get those last 80 out of Singapore from Texas Instruments. We didn't know those 80 existed because it wasn't made publicly available on their US website. So we had to actually go and contact Texas Instruments. They said, we do have 80 in this warehouse in Singapore and they managed to get it for us. So sometimes you have to go direct to the manufacturer and build that relationship there. You, you know, the search engines are great, um, but you gotta, gotta do a little bit more. And that's especially important once you go, to, go into volume, right? Because when you're going to volume production and you're gonna be getting monthly shipments from a, from a semiconductor manufacturer, you're not getting those from DigiKey, right? DigiKey is the low to medium volume, but if you're producing 10,000 units a month, you know, you're, you're not getting that volume from DigiKey, or if you do, you're going to exhaust it really quickly. And then you're going to have to go direct to the manufacturer. Yeah. So it's finding kind of sustainable solutions for sourcing. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, a, a platform like Octopart and then the search engines that it also serves exist, it, it kind of creates this idea that those are the only places to get parts and, they're the great starting point. They give you all the data and that's really important. Mm. But, you know, at some point when you go into production mode and you're going into volume, Octopart is kind of going to take a little bit of a back seat because the big component orders are going to come direct from mm -hmm. the manufacturer. And at some point you might get into a pinch and then you need to start finding the brokers. You then need to start finding second sources. And so that's another instance where, you know, these search platforms really come in and become really helpful. Yeah. Are there any um, online communities or um, news sources that you look at and think are helpful? Gosh, um, being in this business, I feel like there isn't a news source I don't look at at some point. Um, I mean, for for new parts, I actually learn about them through targeted ads. Um, I guess the electronics, oh, yeah, wow. the, whoever's doing advertising marketing in the electronic space is getting really good at it because they always seem to hit me with that ad right when I need it, when I'm on, you know, all about circuits or signal integrity journal or something, you know, I'm on some website and then, you know, I get the ad. Um, so I do see that. Yeah. Wow. The algorithms working it, for you. It's it's working okay. Yeah. So I at least know that it, that you know these options are out there. So that's always nice. Speaking of staying current, obviously one of the big trends that everyone's talking about right now is AI. Uh, what is your view of its impact on the industry? I mean, obviously we have there's going to be a whole new stream of parts that are necessary to construct the equipment to operate AI, um, how do you think it's affecting the supply chain? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's a couple different ways that I think it'll affect the supply chain. One of them is kind of broader beyond just parts. It's actually more manufacturing holistically and that could drive part selection, you know, uh, choices. Um, so AI as applied to quality inspection, verification of a board as it comes off the assembly line. Um, that's really important. And it could force a design team to do an update that requires them to get an alternative part. 
for DFM, DFA reasons, um, for functionality reasons, for testing reasons. Um, so having that closed feedback loop and being able to predict that both on the front end and then take all the data you get from testing inspection on the back end and then compile that and say, hey, design team, 80% chance that this is your, your reason for your board failure. The, that kind of information, that's, that's, I think, a really important mm -hmm. place where AI comes in. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of you know closing that loop between manufacturing and and design. Um, obviously, logistics. You know, I'm not a logistics person, but uh, I mean, anytime you have large amounts of data and looking for trends, I can see AI playing a role. So you should probably get some logistics folks on the on the podcast mm -hmm. to talk about that. Um, and then I think you know part selection, like maybe with a part selection co-pilot or something, that would be really interesting too. You know, just to something to help you wade through the millions of different parts and maybe something that does a little better than just parametric search mm. or something that can help you understand, you know, your kind of general, slightly vague requirements and then recommend, well, here's what you should try searching for, that kind of thing. So I, those are some opportunities where I think, you know, companies will develop like some proprietary tools that will help the, help their customers uh, design more successfully and you know design more efficiently great yeah uh, it definitely sounds like it's an exciting space to be operating thing in the next coming year or two yeah i think the thing you have to be careful about you know with any new technology because we saw this kind of thing with blockchain um mm. is you get into the hype cycle and yeah. i think i think enough companies have looked at what happened in dot com they've looked at what happened with blockchain and they've said we don't need to be first. We just need to come correct. Yes. So I mm. think companies like Altium or any of its competitors or even like the open source tools, you know, they have the ability to implement some kind of AI thing in the software. Mm. But I think waiting and, and being a little patient is really the wise thing to do, um, especially if you want to make sure that your customers trust you when you start to introduce AI related products into the market and into your software or into your web platform, wherever it is going to exist. Right. Yeah, I definitely hundred percent agree. I think uh, one of the worst things that companies do sometimes is rush things out of production and then have to do a recall or have to apologize constantly for design issues. I mean, that happens with everything from cars to video games. Um, yeah, just, just bugs that need to be worked out. that should have been worked out before launch. Yeah, you never want your product to be known as like the buggy product, right? Mm -hmm. Or you never want your, yeah. you don't want to to rush to market with something and then people turn around and say, these guys don't know what they're doing. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to earn that trust yeah. back. Exactly. I think reputational damage is not worth the risk of rolling something out earlier and making a few bucks. Exactly. Yeah. So take take the Apple approach. Don't Don't try and be first. Come correct. Definitely. Wise words. Yeah, that was that was. My well, I learned it from from, from uh, Josh Brown on CNBC. So that's <laughs> oh, there you that's, go. that's where I learned it from. Yeah, <laughs> one of your many news sources. Um, Nora, yeah, that was my yeah, last question. Did you have really anything right. that you wanted to ask? Yeah, I guess I have a, a general question. Um, you know, <clears throat> with supply chain, there's this idea of with a crisis comes great innovation. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you have any personal stories or opinions on, um, you know, an instance where a limitation 
actually led to an expansion in your design process or in what you've encountered in this industry? Yeah, actually, um, you know, the, the COVID period was really a great time to, to fail and then learn from the mistakes and then figure out a way to be better. And that was where I really learned the value of understanding how to get in touch with someone at a semiconductor company and get yourself in a position to get consistent mm. supply. You and can you had also, not done that before? Also, no, no. I, I guess I guess there's kind of a mental block there because okay. I always thought myself as being kind of too insignificant to to do that. But you know, when you're working with a client that is wow. going to take their product to ten thousand units a month or more, you know, they need the supply. They're they're going to buy out everything at all the distributors just to hit one run in that case. So you know, I, I managed to figure out how to do that for them, and that was really that was really a learning experience for me because I had never done that before. Um, but the folks at this one particular manufacturer, um, they were very good at, you know, guiding me through the process and, you know, kind of help helping me interface between the client and, and their team. And then we got all of, we got all the, the, uh, contractual obligations set up with them and, uh, now they're off and running and, you know, it's kind of cool to see that happen. The other thing that it, it kind of reminded me of, which I guess I knew in the background, but I didn't, put into practice, so this is a process thing, is, you know, some parts come in a part number family, right? And this goes back to the variance aspect, right? LM317 is not the only part number, right? There's all sorts of different variants of it that are all in many ways interchangeable. And, you know, the particular part I was working with was a bit more advanced. It was, you know, it's a network processor on a BGA, um, but it comes from a part number family. And so, there, you you actually do have options, even though the thing you spec for yourself is not available. So we act, that actually gave us an opportunity to say, hey, let's build some prototypes and let's swap out these different chips into this prototype and then see which one of these are going to work. And it actually helped us figure out a path to say, okay, we, we now have all of these different options. And that really let us qualify the variance in the process. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. So it's... A yeah, it almost created a new context in which to communicate um, with the manufacturers, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, yeah, and I think if you're like, I think if you're uh, an independent designer, or maybe you, you know, it's just you and a, a couple contractors at a company, and you are working with a much larger company that might need to go into those kinds of volumes, um, it's a real confidence boost for you. You know, now you wow. know how to deal with that kind of thing. And, you know, that's more value that you can give to other people. And that's really important. It's especially important for, you know, people who are individual designers or small teams because they need to figure out ways that they can be competitive with some of these, you know, bigger design firms. And there's not very many of those, you know, big design and engineering firms. Um, but if you can operate on that level, then then you can win that business. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fascinating talking to you. You obviously have a lot of insight. Um, if people want to access more of that insight, like for the, through the podcast or your writing, where should they find that? What's the best place to do that? Yeah, uh, of course, resources.altium.com, uh, the Altium Academy YouTube channel, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Um, 
I get tons of messages every day. So I do my best to respond to all of them. Sometimes they fall through the cracks, but just keep poking me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And Nora, thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for coming on the show, Nora. It's great having you as a uh, co-host today. Yeah, it's great. I've learned so much. I have a lot to think about. Uh, Same here. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, guys.